It's Concrete Coins with Jessica Myers. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Concrete Coins, where we are focused on bringing beginner and intermediate investors to building their seven-figure real estate portfolio. As you guys know, I have several ventures that I do real estate through, and one of them is through Jumpstart Development Partners Group. We are a development firm, full service, and today I have one of my partners with us today, Mr. Patrick Henderson. Hello, how are you doing? It's going pretty well. How, how's everything on your end? It's a lot going on with all the projects. Um, how are you mentally? It's a busy time right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. It takes its toll on you. However, sometimes you just need to sit back and decompress and then, you know, go right back at it. But it's a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of great progress, but it could be overwhelming at times. But hey, you know, that's what we're here for. If everybody could do it, then they would be. So I know we jumped right in, but do you mind um, introducing yourself, who you are, and, you know, how the dynamic to the team that you bring? Sure. Patrick Henderson. I am a managing partner with Jumpstart Development Partners. Uh, My role with the team is to work with you know, all aspects of the different projects, uh, pieces from architecture to design alongside of working with the contractors and subs to make sure that things are flowing as smooth as they can be, um, all the way down to, you know, working with yourself on the, uh, investor relations and making sure that those things work, you know, seamlessly as possible. Now, while my role is to raise capital for the team with jump, a large part of what we've been able to build, um, I often talk about the first house that I got into, sure. that there were drugs being sold out of my house. Um, there was, I gave contractor $40,000. They did not complete the work. And from there are situations like that. That's why I develop, you know, work with you to develop the team at Jump so that we now are your on-site active investors Whereas, you know, we do get funds from other investors that are looking to put into a project. So they may be more categorized as passive investors because they're not every day on the field. What are some of the benefits that you see about having an active investor present to make sure that your passive investment is um, is nurtured, if you will? Well, it, it's a process. So a lot of times it's always good that if your investors are, you know, kind of being... I don't want to say fully involved because that's not what they're brought to do, but also understanding the process so they understand the bumps and bruises that take place in real estate um, and then how do you overcome them because you know a large part of real estate is also being able to address the obstacles that you may you know encounter my model has always been what can happen will happen oh, yes. and how you are able to combat that allows a active investor or an investor you know as a whole to understand what we go through in the market and in the field in order to get these projects completed so you bring up a good point because actually that is a good summation of what our team does is we are a buffer for you know passive investors that may not be as experienced because we're going to work through those problems on site like what are some issues that um or if you could take me to one scenario that was like oh my god and you were able to work it through for the client so that they didn't have to worry about it. Um, I'll even give a, a real live example that it kind of affected our timeline. So in the one house that we're competing, completing for a client right now, they decided that they wanted to go with tile flooring 
in the whole first level. However, when we started to do the design of the house, it was built for wood flooring. And obviously that porcelain tile is a little heavier than your traditional wood. And so what we had to do was to pull up the floorboards, re-engineer the floors to make sure it could hold the weight. And what it looks like on the backside is, is that we're behind, you know, in terms of getting the floors down. However, with the active investor being involved, they can actually see what are the reasons why that we decided to, you know, go that route. What was the delay and actually how we overcame it. And then what do we make up on the backside um, in regards to that? So it was an upsell, obviously, to go from wood to tile, um, but it did delay our timeline for our closing because we had to pull up the current subfloor, replace it, re-engineer the floor, so therefore we can actually come back on top with a Duroc product and then the tile floor on top in order to make it stabilized. So considering all that goes into it, I mean, you're working from, you quit a nine to five to work a eight to eight, or, you know, it seems like it's hard to have that balance. Um, what is the why of why you still do it? Why you do it to this level? Because you've grown from, and, it, and can you speak more about that a little bit too, of how you used to do the hundreds of thousand dollar houses and now you're in the million dollar price point? Sure. So, you know, to, to answer your first question, um, or actually just start from the beginning, you know, my initial process in real estate was doing a lot of your fix and flips and making sure that, you know, you do your lipstick, you know, renovations, your paint carpet, things of that nature. Then I actually grew into doing burnout properties. And then fast forward, you know, 15 years later, we're doing um, million dollar new construction projects. And what it has afforded us the ability to, you know, see full life cycle, what takes place on a construction site all the pitfalls that may you that you may encounter but all the good things you know just the same and so coming from my corporate background and really being able to translate some of those systems that we use from a corporate world into the real estate world has allowed me to have a little bit of a leverage point as we move forward on our projects Mm, so does that tie in i guess my my question for the why is what keeps you going in the midst of all this? And the reason I ask that is because we're dealing with a lot of beginner and intermediate sure. that the second, you know, they would have faced a contractor running off with money, the second they would have run into an $11,000 tax issue, they right. would have quit, done, and been out. So that's where I ask, with all the things that you go through, what keeps you coming back? Passion. I mean, it's simple passion for what I do. You know, I made great money doing my IT, um, but moving over into the real estate, you know, arena, you know, the money is great there as well. However, it's pure passion. You know, I was doing this where the checks were coming in few and far in between. Um, But it's just the zeal that I get from taking a project that seemingly was a throwaway by most people and turn it into something magnificent. In addition to that, being able to take a vacant lot, a a blank canvas, and really be able to paint the masterpiece. So that's interesting that you bring that up, the passion part of it. Um, Because how do people translate passion into profit? Sure. So one... It begins with the systems, as I as I spoke about earlier, and making sure that 
there are things in place to, in order to help guard against, you know, potential losses in projects. Because, again, like I said earlier, what can happen will happen. So if you, one, have your systems in place, but number two, that you learn from not only your mistakes that you make, but also learning from the mistakes of others. That's the reason why we do this as a collective. You know, it's more of a, a larger brain trust that comes together in order to make sure that the project, you know, comes out in the end like you envisioned it. Yeah, because, I mean, that's something, too, where doing it by yourself, you're only responsible for you. Right. But now with Jump, you know, our partnership has four individuals. How was that transition from what you were doing before? Because I just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, you were already building a partnership on your own. And then I came out of nowhere and was like, hey, let's, you know, my partner come in, join you and your partner. So how did that transition scale your business? So... Again, you know, the old adage is if you want to go, you know, you know, a, a distance, Fast. you do it by yourself. You want to do that by yourself. However, if you want to go far, you know, you bring a team of people because now you're not having to do everything. You know, people have their roles and responsibilities on the team. And so that allows you to scale because now you can allow one person to do their particular job and now we can also move forward as a collective in order to get the project done. And I am huge on specialization of labor. <laughs> so especially when looking for partnerships, what particular assets did you assemble for the team? Well, somebody that, you know, had a foothold, you know, strongly in the contracting side from a partner from that perspective, somebody who was very personable, who knew how to talk and deal with the investors um, and had a large network. Um, people who, you know, were not only task oriented, but also could man the task. Essentially, you know, Matt does a great job with this. You know, he's going to stand, he's going to call, um, he's going to make sure that, you know, those things don't slip through the cracks. So it's a matter of making sure that your team has things that encompassing in them that not necessarily that you don't do, but that they have their strong suits and everybody comes to the table with something substantial. How do you protect yourself in joint ventures? Because that is something interesting where, you know, most people are like, I'm only on my own because I can't find anybody. And then if I find somebody, how do I protect myself and make sure that they're not going to screw me out? I mean, again, <laughs> I, my thing is this, is you do contracts, you want to make sure that at the end of the day that you're protected um, contractually. Um, you want to make sure that your partners have skin in the game similar to what you have skin in the game. And then basically you, you draw it up based upon, you know, the things that they're doing um, and make sure that it matches what they're getting out of it. So kind of commitment versus equity or expectations versus equity conversation. That is correct. So I need to make sure when choosing a partner that I have someone that has what I don't and that they have a vested equity interest in the company and the profits. And also somebody who's equally yoked. And what I mean by that is making sure that your partner has the same values, same work ethic as you do, um, because a lot of times you may find yourself where you feel like you're doing all the work, and if you have a partner who's not doing it, they're basically a dead leg. So you want to make sure that they're equally yoked, so therefore you guys can move together in tandem. Mm, that is interesting, because if you partner with someone and you don't know what they'll bring to the table and they're already tied into the deal, it's almost like you're forced to finish it. Like, I have to go through this bad relationship to get to the, the promised right. land unless I'm willing to walk away. Right. Have you ever walked away from a project? 
Um, I wouldn't say necessarily walked away from a project perspective uh, per se, but what I would say is is that um, I've been in situations where I had to cut my losses. Mm. Mm. And that's something too that people need to know right. where to cut the loss. Absolutely, especially on the the front side. I'm not gonna lie, I've sold a property or two, even in the negative, but just to cut the loss because it will only go continue to bleed out. Right. And so I had to do. That's partly why I lost eleven thousand in the first project because I had to cut my losses. Mm -hmm. um, I had a tax lien that I didn't know was on a property that I purchased without going through an attorney, which is a big no-no. That's correct. She always used an attorney, and so they didn't run title, and so I didn't see that the house that I purchased, so cheap, but it actually had an $11,000 tax <laughs> Wasn't that cheap at the end. <laughs> exactly, especially when I had to pay that $11,000. So that was pretty fun. Um, what is something you wish you knew on the front side now that you have this development company that works for other investors? What is something you wish you knew on the front side in building what you know now? Um, I can't really necessarily pinpoint, you know, the one item. However, what I would say from a hindsight 2020 is just as you go into it, I've always had the model leap and grow my wings on the way down. So that's kind of been, you know, my mantra from the standpoint, I don't have an issue taking risk. Um, but when I look back at them, I just, you know, sometimes you want them to be more calculated risk. Um, and so that, that way, at the end of the day, when your outcome does not show what you anticipated it to, then therefore you can know which way to kind of hedge it for the next time. I think one of the best things I heard in my journey was Jay-Z say he's learned more from failures than success. That's correct. Because for me, I used to judge failure so different until I start taking risk. Mm -hmm. Failing forward. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's easy to commentate from the outside of what someone should have done to your point I can see a vantage point where you could have gone left and been fine but when you're in it you don't know it and you learn it that's correct and you now have better knowledge than that person who was sitting on the back saying I told you so but now at least you have experiential knowledge that's correct absolutely what is that experience that you feel stands out and really define who you are as a developer I've been through it I've been, I've seen all aspects of it. I started doing real estate in 2004. Been through the market crash in 06, 07. Um, was gun shy to get back in the market, you know, in 2010, 11, 2013, I jumped back into the market and, um, you know, went full steam ahead. Um, I've seen, you know, people come and people go. I've seen a lot of the, the mistakes that people have used or that they've gone through and I've used those for, you know, my Rolodex and, and my memory bases and to understand what do I not want to do in order to go forward. Mm -hmm. You know, it's crazy because, you know, in the beginning, you guys had to put the reins on me because I was, I was, you know, going and getting all these different projects lined up for us as an organization. Because um, one of the things that I was always taught that if you only plan for the now, when now is completed, where do you go? So I was I was always ingrained that I needed to look two, three, four projects ahead. So therefore, when the completed project of the now is done, we're rolling immediately into you know a new situation as opposed to now we're going out and having to find work and things of that nature. We have projects that's you know lined up all throughout 2021. But just as the universe would have it. 
it's almost like as you're doing is where the next step comes. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there, I mean, there's a bit of a balance and that's why you have a team dynamic to help balance that out. Because to your point, you know, what he's mentioning is when we first started working together, it was project, project, project. And then at some point it was like, we have to pull back the reins and focus on the projects that we've accrued before looking at new ones. But ironically enough, in focusing on the ones we've accrued, that's where new opportunity lies. That's absolutely correct. And, and you gotta look at it this way. That's the reason for a team. Everybody has their role, and as long as they are, you know, doing what their job is and what their role and their responsibilities are, then allows people to be the visionary. It allows me to be able to go and, you know, get more additional work. Because here's the thing, in this type of business, when you're working for yourself, you eat what you kill. Mm -hmm. And so, the thought pattern is is that I need to go ahead and make sure that my team eats, you know, throughout the duration of the process. So, you know, while I'm out there talking to clients and doing what I do best, it allows my team that's on the ground in order to do what they do best. And it's it's funny you say that because me and Joel often, or my husband, we often talk about the fact that I never played sports. Mm -hmm. So you are a sports guy and that's, I, w I thought some of that would have come out when you were saying your why, because you're so competitive. Very. And that's what keeps you going more than anything is your will and your want to win. That's right. Can that's you right. speak about that and how sports has empowered your entrepreneurial sure. venture? Sure. So great, great segue. So my goal is to make sure that my team wins. You know, team sports, you want to make sure that everybody in your team wins. In order to do that, you know, I have to be focused on making sure that there's opportunities for the team to eat. There's opportunities for the team to be successful. And so that competitive advantage actually pushes me to go out there and get our deals done in order to make sure that at the end of the day that we are moving as an organization to the next step. So it has helped fuel my fire, definitely. So in thinking about all that we accomplished as a team, it's amazing, it's beautiful. To your point, making sure you're equally yoked mm -hmm. with other people that have the same hustle and the same drive Very important. as you do. But how do you manage the soft skills, the personalities? Because that's another factor that I don't think people think about until they you know, are big enough to get an HR person or whatever that can manage all this internal personalities that's going on. How do you <laughs> fare with that? <laughs> that's difficult, but one of the things that I learned about you know, in coaching and in sports is that you gotta meet each individual on their level. And sometimes you know, when you're managing you know, a large organization, um, it can be a little bit you know, taxing in order to do that. However, you have to be able to understand what makes this particular, you know, employee, partner, you know, contractor, what have you, tick. How do you get the most out of them? And what do you have to do in order to make sure that they're satisfied? So therefore, at the end of the day, we're producing a quality product. Mm. And, and it becomes, you know, dealing with not having egos, which is, you know, a hard and daunting task to do. But sometimes you can't have the egos. Um, and then you got to also know how to meet each person on their level. Very important lessons. And it's, to your point, sometimes you just learn on the fly of um, conflict resolution. Um, people can count on me for? Um, that I'm going to make it happen. That I'm going to do what I got to do. Um, they can count that 
I'm going to work until it gets done. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at, you know, the old adage may not come when you want to, but it's right on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to find a way. Okay trust and believe that find a way to make it happen and that's an important skill set to have as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. because a lot of times what you do as an entrepreneur I mean you have the passion you know what it takes to make money it's a matter of getting over the obstacles that come in your way Mm -hmm. what's one major obstacle that almost took you out gosh I don't know I have to think about that I mean you got you got to it's, it's just all about team. I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, off the top of my head what that is, but it's just a matter of whatever the obstacle is, being able to address it and then figure out how to move forward. So how do you balance it? Because I know you work a lot and the projects are very demanding, mm-hmm. especially for passive investors. And that's one of the things that um, I like doing the Launcher Learning Circle, which gives insights sure. into our day-to-day experiences to people because sometimes I feel like they just think, oh, the house goes up, you sell it, huh. and you keep it moving. But there is so much in between. How do you balance, um, you know, having, having being at the project all the time, knowing that it's priority and work, but then understanding what you're doing it all for? It's hard um, because at the end of the day, you know, we do this for, you know, family. We do this to have a better way of life. Um, but just like when you start your own business, you find yourself putting in more hours than you would on your traditional nine to five. And, you know, balance is, is a not an, always an easy task, especially when you find yourself as a workaholic. You just have to schedule it similar to how you schedule anything else. Um, like you schedule your meetings, you got to schedule your time off. Um, because if you don't, you'll get drained and then you're no good to anybody. Mm. Um, mm. But it's balance is a hard thing to do sometimes you know especially when you run your own business Mm, yes definitely so how did you find your niche because there are a lot of beginner and intermediate um investors that are looking at they're like oh i can make money as an appraiser oh i can make money by getting my real estate license oh i can go get a general contractor license how did you find your niche and knowing how to stay there sure so what i found is is that a lot of investors were going and picking up this the $100,000 house or the $200,000 house. They were doing paint and carpet um, or they would do, you know, some minor renovations. And I found that it was feast or famine. Everybody was doing it. We couldn't find any type of good deals. And so what I did was I moved over into the new construction space and then into the higher end new construction space. Because what I found was is that your large scale uh, builders such as your John Whelan's, your D.R. Horton's, etc., were doing mass production. They weren't looking at the one lot, the two lot type deals. And it allowed me to have a barrier entry into that particular market that I was able to overcome and to be able to do new construction on the high end side. I wasn't doing them in subdivisions, but I was doing them in one-offs. Being able to make a great profit on there and then also being able to find good deals yeah you know your projects under a hundred thousand dollars two hundred thousand dollars everybody is doing them mm-hmm. everybody is doing them and so i just elevated what my offerings were and then i started finding more deals than i could ever need that's actually a good point because a lot of beginners may feel like 
Um, to your point, the market is saturated, especially being here in a big city as Atlanta. The market is saturated. There's nowhere to go. But you stayed in Atlanta and just found a different niche within the market. Not only that, but what I found was a sector of business that was, quote unquote, recession proof. And what I mean by that is, is that as we're selling to, you know, your million dollar clientele, there those are people who traditionally are not in that recession type scenario, meaning that if I'm going to buy a million dollar house, two million dollar house, I have that money. Um, I'm dealing with a lot of actors. I'm dealing with a lot of entertainers, sports um, stars. I deal with a lot of doctors and lawyers. That's what my clientele is. And so um, the higher end professional is able to come in and they've already planned for their downsides. And so we're still able to sell as well as build um, without any type of stop gaps or restrictions. Uh, due to this pandemic that we're involved in right now, um, our business is booming more than ever. I know, and that's crazy because normally at a time like this, um, you know, a lot of people in the market are suffering. Right, they like, are. So here, here's the thing though, in this market space, I'm finding that, that people being that they're at home more, they're looking for more amenities for their home. Because they're saying to themselves, if I'm going to be sheltering in place, if I'm going to be stuck at the house or now my work conditions have changed where no longer am I going into the office five days a week, I'm only going in one day a week and working four from home. So they're trying to bring that oasis to themselves so therefore they can work hard, play hard in one environment. Mm. And so that has allowed for our business to grow exponentially because we're dealing with people who want to build. We're not going after and having to hustle for business. Business is now coming to us. Exactly. And they're friends and friends of friends. Correct. Especially as they love to entertain. That's correct. Uh, one last question. Um, how do beginner investors, so I know you've been involved with this for years since 2004. I think I was in high school then. <laughs> but how, how do beginner and novice investors want to take advantage of the recession-proof plan but I'm new and a million dollars scares me. So here's a couple, couple things on ways that they can take advantage. One, you need to lock arms with somebody who is currently doing it. Um, and you have to be willing to put in the work and willing to sacrifice some time and really to learn what's going on. You know, Puff Daddy had a, had a show back in the day called Making the Band. And you know, so we need somebody to go walk and get us some cheesecake. <laughs> that, that, the old adage was, hey, go walk across the Brooklyn Bridge and go and get me some cheesecake. Well, not literally, but figuratively. So when you think about that is, is that the person who's the beginner needs to put in their dues. They need to come out to the broad project site. They need to watch. That's how I got started. I brought my lawn chair, which we coined Lawn Chair Learning Circle, and I was on site. I was present and I was in the building. A lot of times people say they want it, but they're not willing to put in the work or to put in the time in order to be involved. Or you they know? show up one or two days and be like, oh, right. I'm done. They say they want to be involved and they'll, they'll come out one day, they'll come out a second day and then you don't see them again. And then they want, you know, it, they want results, but they're not willing to put in the work. And so as a new person coming into this whole thing called real estate, my first advice would be to them is be willing to put in the work, lock arms with somebody who's doing it, and do whatever it takes in order to learn as much as you can from them. Now, I know I said that would be the last question, but real quick, because that, that brought, prompted something else. 
because I came into this paying $20,000 for the education mm -hmm. to learn how to get into, involved in real estate. Since being in here, I realized maybe I shouldn't have spent that much. But one of the things I will say is that the money kept my butt on the line so that no matter the excuse, I kept coming. Mm -hmm. Do you advise people pay for a mentor or should it be something where that they can get for free? So my old adage is you get what you pay for. However, um, you got to make sure that the investment that you're putting in, that you're going to be willing to work it because if you're not, you won't get anything out of it. If you pay $20,000 for a course or if you do a course for free, if at the end of the course you do nothing with the information, then your results are going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And so knowledge is power, also time is money. And so what I implore on everybody starting out is that the person that you're locking arms with, understand that their time is valuable, so don't waste it. Um, and also understand that at times you may have to pay for you know, something you know, in order to get what you need. You know, like for me, I believe in, you know, education from the standpoint of being able to make everybody as knowledgeable about a subject as I am, because guess what? We can go out and do it together as opposed to me doing it on my own. But, you know, understand that my time is valuable as well. So just don't waste it. Mm. Any final words? Like I said, we're speaking to beginners, intermediate investors, those that may have already done their first project or two. Any final words of thinking back to where you were on your journey at this stance that you can touch, move, and inspire a listener? I'll make it very simple. Don't quit. And the reason why I say it in just that phrase, don't quit, is because time is going to pass you by anyway, whether it takes you two weeks, two months, two years. Time is still going to go. And so if you have a dream, if you have a passion for something, Figure out a way to monetize it and don't quit. Mm, that's beautiful. How can people find you um, moving forward if they want to book your services or anything like that? Because can you define what your services are real quick? Sure. And then how people can find you to book you? So I, I can. Um, I teach development courses. Um, I talk to new beginners as well as uh, new investors as well as um, experienced investors to give them a new outlook on how to one be a builder slash developer uh number two helping you through the design phase of your next project from funding all the way through to certificate of occupancy um i can be contacted on instagram at decision maker 76 i am also on linkedin um but if you want to reach us, you know, reach me, you can reach me at uh, Jumpstart Development Partners. Our website is jsdevp.com. And again, uh, Instagram, DecisionMaker76. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I mean, this is a conversation we're often having. We're in the field right now as we speak. So if you heard any of that lovely noise in the background, um, you know, we're bringing you firsthand a uh, front seat to what we do in the field every day. As you know, Concrete Coins is all about how to monetize and build your seven-figure real estate portfolio from the concrete, essentially. And as always, you know you got it. Let's get it. Let's go.